You're listening to The Living Word with Danny Hodges of Calvary Chapel Fellowship in St. Pete. You're nothing more than one who sings love songs with a beautiful voice and plays an instrument well, for they hear your words, but do not put them into practice. He must have been a great speaker because a lot of people came to hear him. But God tells him, of all the people that are coming to hear you, they're not, they're not doing what I'm saying through you. I'm going to be flat honest with you. As much as I can judge my own heart, I'd rather pastor a church of 50 people where 48 out of 50 did what I taught because I'm teaching the Word of God than hundreds of people or thousands of people where you have the majority that don't do it. What's the point of being a Christian if it doesn't change your life? Really, there is none. Being a follower of Jesus means that there's an active role that he's playing in your everyday activities. He's transforming you into a different person, moment by moment. You're spending time learning more about Jesus and making changes to be more like him. Pastor Danny reminds you today to keep doing the work, keep showing up, keep learning, and keep growing. You might not do it perfectly, but you need to keep doing it. Now here's Pastor Danny in the book of Acts chapter 11 with today's edition of The Living Word. Acts chapter 11. We left off verse 19. Now those who had been scattered by the persecution that broke out when Stephen was killed traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, spreading the word only among the Jews. Some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, went to Antioch and began to speak to Greeks also, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. The Lord's hand was with them. That's what you want. You want the Lord's hand with you. And a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. Now, pause there for just a minute, because I think it'd be helpful, I hope, to give you a little background on ancient Antioch. Founded around 300 BC by a guy named Seleucus, Seleucus I. Seleucus was one of Alexander the Great's four generals, and when Alexander died at a young age, his four generals got the empire divided up among them. And Seleucus was one of those generals. He loved founding cities and naming them after his father. He founded some 15 cities and named them the same. His dad's name. I bet you'll never guess what his dad's name was. Antioch. And so you had to put something with the name of the city to know which one you're talking about. This is Syrian Antioch, one of the 15 founded by Seleucus I. In the day we're reading about, it had half a million people or so. Today, it's a Turkish city with about 3,500, so a lot different back then. It was on the Orontes River, about 300 miles north of Jerusalem, 20 miles east of the Mediterranean. During the first century, it was the third largest city in the world, behind Rome and Alexandria. Melting pot for five major cultures, Greek, Roman, Semitic, Arab, and Persian. Main Street was more than four miles long, 
was paved with marble, and on the side of Main Street, uh, there were marble colonnades. It was the only city in its day that had lighted streets at night. They worshiped a lot of different gods, Greek gods, Roman gods, Syrian deities, but the main worship was Daphne, the goddess Daphne. Supposedly, Daphne was seduced by the god Apollo. As a result, to worship Daphne, men would regularly go outside the city to the temple of Daphne and engage with the priestesses of the temple of Daphne. They were prostitutes. And that was part of your worship experience. Why do I share that with you? It's a pagan place. Known for chariot racing, known for one more thing. You want to go somewhere to party? Save your money. Take a trip to Antioch. Las Vegas on the Orontes. It was called the Paris of the ancient world. The darker the night, the brighter the light. And the light of the gospel comes to a place like Antioch and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. Verse 22, news of this reached the church in Jerusalem and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he arrived and saw what the grace of God had done, he was glad and encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. He was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith. And a great number of people were brought to the Lord. Then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. Pause one more time. Last time we saw Saul of Tarsus was back in chapter 9 of Acts. Saul is recently saved on the road to Damascus to persecute other Christians. He gets saved and immediately in Damascus begins to proclaim and prove from the scriptures that Jesus is indeed the Christ, the Messiah. He comes back to Jerusalem. He does the same thing. He boldly proclaims. He gets in debate with the Hellenistic Jews. Didn't go very well. They plotted to kill him. And when the church found out, they get Saul of Tarsus, take him down to Caesarea, put him on a ship and say, you need to go back home for a while. And he goes back to Tarsus. And what scholars say is probably 10 to 11 years, we have no record of the life or the ministry of Saul of Tarsus. Until right here, when Barnabas goes to get him, brings him back to Antioch. Last part, verse 26. So for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. The disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. Did you know... The term Christian only appears three times in the Bible, all in the New Testament, of course. One is here in Acts 11. Second is Acts 26, 28, where Paul the Apostle, Saul of Tarsus, now Paul the Apostle, stands before King Herod Agrippa, shares the gospel with him, and Herod stops him and says, Paul, do you think in such a short time you can persuade me to be a Christian? And Paul says, not only you, but all who hear my voice today, I would like to become what I am except for these chains. And the third time is 1 Peter 4, 16. If you suffer as a Christian, don't be ashamed. But praise God, you bear that name. They were first called Christians in Antioch. We're gonna come back to that, but let's finish the chapter. Verse 27, during this time, some prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. One of them named Agabus stood up and through the spirit predicted that a severe famine would spread over the entire Roman world. This happened during the reign of Claudius. We have historical record. It came true, true prophet. The disciples, as each one was able, decided to provide help for the brothers and sisters living in Judea. This they did, sending their gift to the elders by Barnabas and Saul. 
If I take that literally, every single member of the church at Antioch gave as they were able, and so it must have been a very generous gift given to Jewish brothers and sisters that they never met but felt akin to because of their common faith and their common Savior. They were first called Christians at Antioch. Some say it means little Christ. But if we want to get real technical, the term I-A-N, that suffix, is that what you call it? Christian? It means belonging to the party of. More literally, it's, they called them Jesusites. <laughs> Christians. Most scholars believe, and I agree with most scholars. I'm not a scholar, but I agree. The term didn't come by the believers in Antioch getting together and saying, we've got to have a name for ourselves. One that really glorifies Christ. Let's call ourselves Christians. No, no, it was more than likely from the outside world, those not part of the church in Antioch who looked, and it was more than likely a derogatory term, Christian. You're a Christian. You belong to the party of Jesus. Derogatory. Today, the term Christian has become one of the vaguest descriptions in the English language. Some people think that anyone who is not a Jew or a Muslim is a Christian. And of course, you want to confuse it even more. You have Jehovah's Witness Christians. You have Mormon Christians. You have Christian Science Christians. Scientology Christians. Unity Christians. Now, we would classify them as cults. They don't believe in the same Jesus, don't have the same doctrine that we have. So let's, let's, let's talk about some that have at least the foundational doctrine of that Jesus is indeed the Messiah. There's my background, the Baptist. <laughs> I was independent, Bible-believing, fundamental. Short hair on men, no drums, no dancing for sure. Then there were the Southern Baptists. We thought they were liberal. A lot of them smoke cigarettes before they go to church. <laughs> then there's the free will Baptists. They believe you can lose your salvation, but good news, they also believe you can get it back multiple times. There's the Anabaptist. Then there's the Methodist. The Methodist. There's United Methodist. There's Free Methodist. Get this one. There's African Methodist Episcopal. Really? Presbyterians really got us. They got the USA Presbyterian, the Orthodox Presbyterian, the Bible Presbyterian, the Cumberland Presbyterian, the Evangelical Presbyterian, Evangelical Covenant Order Presbyterian, Reformed Presbyterian of North America. There's the Associate Reformed Presbyterian, and there are others. Then you got the Pentecostals. But which Pentecostal Christian are you? Are you Assemblies of God? Are you New Apostolic? Are you Foursquare? Are you Church of God in Christ? Then there's Lutheran, Anglican, Episcopal, Seventh-day Adventist, Eastern Orthodox, Catholic. Catholic thinks they are the only one. There's Charismatic Christians, Mennonite Christians, Amish Christians. And then a, a break off of the Calvary Chapel movement, there's what's called the Vineyard that John Wimber started years and years ago. He's now with the Lord. Then there's Calvary Chapel Christian. That's me. No, 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 no pride there. But look, look. Years ago on vacation, I'm trying to explain to a guy I'd met by the swimming pool at a Holiday Inn we were staying at. I get in a conversation with him. He finds out I'm a Christian. He said, what kind of Christian are you? And I'm trying to explain what a Calvary Chapel Christian is. It didn't go very well. And finally, finally, I said, you know, this is crazy trying to describe something he does not familiar with. So I just went back to the Bible and the gospel. That was the, that was the good road to be on, the Bible and the gospel. A guy named George Fox in the year 1640 stood before a Justice Bennett. And Justice Bennett said to George Fox, I bid you, tremble at the word of the Lord. The guy went out and started a Christian movement, and guess what they called him? Quakers. <laughs> Quakers. You know how the Methodists got theirs? 
They got theirs because of their systematic, methodical pursuit of holiness. And they were called Methodists. One more. In the early days of the Calvary Chapel movement, the Calvary Chapel movement was really the Jesus movement. And the Jesus movement, the people who were giving their lives to Jesus in those days by the hundreds and thousands became known as Jesus people. Jesus people. Do we need a new name? Doesn't matter. It's not going to happen. We at least need a fresh testimony of what real Christianity is all about. These are real Christians. They were first called Christians in Antioch. What was it that brought that about? That they would be called, looked at and called Christian. Well, before we talk about four things from the text, every one of us, if we know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, ought to be making a name. I said last night a name for ourselves, but really a name for God. A name for God. A name that reflects the glory of God and that reflects the gospel of Jesus Christ. And by our lifestyle, by who we are and what we do, we ought to be looked at as biblically, biblically. People ought to know we're Christians, not just because I'm a Christian. Not just say I'm a Christian. They ought to see it. They ought to know it. And while we're to do that personally, we also want to do that as a church fellowship. Look at the churches in the Bible, in the New Testament, Ephesians 1. Paul writes, Ephesians 1, for this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, for all the saints. Now that changed over the years with the church at Ephesus. That's why the letter to the church of Ephesus in Revelation, about 40 years later, I think, Jesus called them to repent. Why? Because they left their first love. They left their first love. But they were known in the early days, for the love for all the saints. Church of Thessalonica, 1 Thessalonians 1, verse 6. You became imitators of us and of the Lord. In spite of severe suffering, you welcomed the message with the joy given by the Holy Spirit. And so you became a model for the believers in Macedonia. You, you know, one of the things the Lord's done for us as a church fellowship, you know one of the things we're known for out here? People hear that we don't take an offering during the services. And yet they see the building and all that we're doing, and that takes money, and they go, How, you don't even take an offering? How are you doing all that you're doing? I get that question. I go, we, we rob, we steal. We, we, we take people's wallets and purses when they come into service. If you're new with us, we don't do that. You got yours, right? You still got it. Okay, good, leave with it. Leave all your money on the, on the seat, but go, take your wallet. No, just, sometimes you just try to be, after they've already laughed, don't try to be funny again. 2 Corinthians, verse 8. Now, brothers, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. Out of the most severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability. And they became examples. So you can become an example personally as an individual Christian and also as a church fellowship. You can make a name for Christ in a very good way. What was it about these Christians at Antioch that they were dubbed Christians? Well, the first one you might not think about, but it's right in the text. It's a key verse in the text. They were well-fed believers. And you'll never become the Christian that God wants you to be without this. Romans 12, verse two, don't be conformed to the pattern of this world. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. In the context of scripture, the renewing of your mind is talking about renewing your mind with the word of God. Peter wrote it this way. First Peter chapter two, like newborn babies crave pure spiritual milk so that by it you may grow up in your salvation. Grow up. Jesus prayed, 
Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. Now, some of us have heard this many times. We need to hear it again. Jesus, it says, he left that place, went into the regions of Judea and across the Jordan. Again, crowds of people came to him. And as was his custom, as was his custom, he taught them. I have to believe when it tells us in our text in Acts 11 that Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people for a whole year, for a whole year. I have to believe when with the rest of scripture and you look at it, you have to believe it was more than a Sunday or a Sunday and a Wednesday. I think it was more than likely daily. Anybody that could come daily. That was the church in Jerusalem. Daily they met in the temple courts and daily the apostles were teaching. Either way, I I don't think in any way it was just one or two days a week. So what I'm saying is if it's more than that, then they're getting a lot of the word in a very short amount of time. A lot of the word in a very short amount of time. It honestly grieves me deeply When I meet people, I meet people here often and they've moved here from somewhere else and they've been visiting churches. They're looking for a church home. Everybody ought to have a local church fellowship that they call their local fellowship. Everybody ought to have one and be plugged in. But it grieves me. I mean, it really grieves me when I hear people that go to so many churches and they say they're just not teaching the Bible. They're not teaching the Bible. And what are they teaching? I don't get it. And you wonder why the church can be so shallow. It is shallow without the really good feeding of the word of God. We need it. We need it. I so appreciate Pastor Pastor's Willow Creek Church up north. I appreciate their humility because years ago, they introduced the seeker-sensitive movement to churches and church leaders in America. Now, I'm speaking some way generally, but just listen. This is all true, and they... And they they admit it. Preaching generally was out. Relevance was in. Churches began being built by demographic studies. They used professional strategists. They did marketing research. They sought to meet the felt needs of people. Innovation often took precedence over doctrine. If it wasn't cutting edge and consumer friendly, it was out. The mention of sin, salvation, and sanctification were replaced by Starbucks strategy and sensitivity. In those days, satellite seminars were packed with church leaders itching to learn the latest way to do church. A few years ago, Bill Hybels and Willow Creek Church did a multi-year study of the effectiveness of their programs and philosophy of ministry. The report is detailed in a book that came out that they put out, Reveal, Where Are You? The report reveals that most of what they have been doing for many years and what they've taught millions of others to do did not produce solid disciples of Jesus Christ. Numbers, yes, but not solid disciples. Let me read you what Bill Hybels writes in the book. Some of the stuff that we've put millions of dollars into thinking it would really help our people grow and develop spiritually, when the data came back, it wasn't helping people that much. Other things that we didn't put that much money into and didn't put much staff against is stuff our people are crying out for. We made a mistake. God bless you both. What we should have done when people crossed the line of faith and became Christians, we should have started telling people and teaching people that they have to take responsibility to become self-feeders. We should have gotten people, taught people how to read their Bible between services, how to do spiritual practices much more aggressively on their own. Amen. A well-fed church will naturally grow if one thing happens in that well-fed church. If people do what they hear, if they do what they hear. Pastor Chuck used to often say, healthy sheep 
naturally reproduce. Healthy sheep naturally reproduce. What's the second thing about this church in Antioch that marked them as Christians? It's what I just said. They did more than merely listen to the word. James 1, very clear. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Ezekiel was a great prophet of the Old Testament, but I would not want his ministry. You know one of the main reasons I would not want his ministry? Most of those prophets, I wouldn't want their ministry. Most of them got killed. (laughs) Please, Lord, no. But Ezekiel chapter 33, God tells Ezekiel about his ministry. It wasn't a small ministry. It was a large ministry. But he tells him about the heart of his ministry with people. Verse 31, chapter 33 of Ezekiel. My people come to you as they usually do and sit before you to hear your words, but they do not put them into practice. Their mouths speak of love, but their hearts are greedy for unjust gain. Indeed to them, you're nothing more than one who sings love songs with a beautiful voice and plays an instrument well, for they hear your words, but do not put them into practice. He must have been a great speaker because a lot of people came to hear him. But God tells him, of all the people that are coming to hear you, they're not. They're not doing what I'm saying through you. I'm going to be flat honest with you. As much as I can judge my own heart, I'd rather pastor a church of 50 people where 48 out of 50 did what I taught because I'm teaching the word of God than hundreds of people or thousands of people where you have the majority that don't do it. I really would love to have a smaller group. And I'm not saying we have a large group and you're not doing the word. That's not what I'm saying. But if you're not doing the word, I'm speaking to you right now. <laughs> I want Haggai's ministry. You're about Haggai, that little uh, Old Testament book of Haggai. Haggai went out and proclaimed the word of the Lord, and they repented, and they started doing what God said. They did the word, and it transformed their lives. They became different people every week, month, year. They, they, they were being transformed. They, they were being changed through the ministry of the word. Giving up worship of idols, immoral lifestyles, set free from addictions, better workers, on the job, better neighbors, better family members, better husbands. Because what were they teaching? They were teaching the things you read that the Apostle Paul and others wrote in the New Testament. Things like Ephesians, where Paul says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Wives, be submissive to your husbands. Children, be obedient. Lives were being changed. Families were being changed. I mean, it was radical. All of a sudden, he didn't want to, he didn't want a divorce now. He wanted to be married to her. He wanted to commit himself to her. You know, all of a sudden, she's a different wife. You're not the one I married. You know, and your kids, you're getting ready to kill them. And now you say, you don't have to leave now and we're going to let you live. (laughs) Children, obey your parents in the Lord. That's the kind of things they were teaching. Sound doctrine. And the people were getting it, man. They were going away and their lives were being changed and their families were being transformed. And the world saw it. You're not the same guy I used to work with. You're not the same neighbor I used to have. You don't talk like you used to talk. Man, when Danny Hodges got saved, I mean, people that knew me before I gave my life to Christ, you talk about a different person. I tell you, one of the first things changed, my speech. I was GD this, and I I had a foul mouth. I know you can't see that now, you know? Now, I I didn't say I haven't cussed ever since becoming a Christian. Come on now. But overall, it's been pretty good. Now, don't look at me like that. Even though you haven't said it, you were thinking it. You hit your hammer, you hit the thumb with the hammer, and your first thought wasn't praise the Lord. I know what you were thinking. Same thing I was thinking. Man, you talk about a radical change. I'd go bowling on Friday night with the youth group at the church. Bowling? Now, I know for the bowlers, don't send me an email. You want to go bowling, that's fine. But in my day, going bowling wasn't cool. We'd go out to Clear Pond. We'd kick back the tequila and the lime. 
for the chaser. We'd roll a few marijuana joints. We knew how to party, buddy, let me tell you. We knew how to party. And now all that's gone. I was immoral. And now I just want to be pure before the Lord. We're so thankful to be able to share this time with you today on The Living Word, a ministry of Calvary Chapel Fellowship in St. Petersburg, Florida. We've been learning some historical things from the Book of Acts, a New Testament book that records the early church and how the disciples spread the gospel of Jesus to the world. What an incredible move of the Holy Spirit that we get to not only read about, but experience today. If you'd like to hear today's message again, or other messages like it from Pastor Danny, visit our website at ccfstpete.church. Look under the Media tab and click on Sermons. As we wrap up our time with you today, we'd like to take a moment and ask you to partner with us in prayer here at The Living Word. Prayer is an incredibly powerful tool that you can use against the enemy, who doesn't play fair. Being in conversation with the Lord is an exercise that's extremely rewarding as you find yourself more and more in a relationship with God. As far as a specific prayer request, please pray that we'd always have it on the forefront of our minds to be teaching the Word and reaching the world. As you pray about this, we pray too that your heart is encouraged and growing in the Word through these teachings. Thanks for praying, and thanks for being a part of this ministry. Join us again next time to dive deeper into the book of Acts right here on The Living Word.